content warning for brief sexual reference and discussion of substance use. Hello and welcome to the Billy Shears Club. I'm Caleb Clark. And I'm Brian Clark. And thanks for tuning in. And today we've got two lovely albums for you folks. We've got Herb Albert Presents by Sergio Mendez and Brazil 66 and Asia by Steely Dan. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So as a little bit of a reversal, we're starting off with the my album first. Uh, so a little bit of background on Sergio Mendez and his group. Uh, Sergio grew up in Brazil and eventually sort of grew into becoming a band leader, went around, did a bunch of gigs with different jazz and big band figures in sort of the Latin, Latin sphere of music in like the mid-century, mainly the 60s. Uh, especially got big once he connected with the famous Herb Alpert, uh, one of the main brass players of the 60s, and started to cross over from there. Uh, after that, he, throughout the 70s, continued playing, started to have like one random hit in the late 70s, but it started to not do as well later on. Uh, his lead singer ended up leaving the band to pursue her solo career and also marry Herb, so that was a little bit stinging for him. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah, that was... Uh, when, I, when I was researching the group, yeah, I came across that. I said, well, that'll, that'll cool down the old yeah. uh, collaborations between yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then he also ended up, like, around 2006. Like, he just randomly made a new album called Timeless with a bunch of the singers and bands of the day, and it just caught on pretty well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is his album, Herb Albert Presents, which is sort of when he was starting to cross over into the larger English-speaking sphere. Uh, it's, it's a pretty brief album, but it's, like, you know, very light, very fun Bossa Nova. What'd you think of it? Uh, it was interesting because, uh, just because it's relevant, uh, I was mm-hmm. born in 1960. <laughs> so I actually remember this album when it was released. And uh, so it was a lot of, uh, a lot of things I was familiar with, and uh, I found it quite pleasing to my ear. And I, it's just... It's just nice music. It's something I think what we would call like elevator music or maybe call waiting music type stuff. But at the same time, I mean, it, w- it was just all over the place in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just a mere child. I do remember it. Yeah, I would have been in kindergarten, first grade. But, uh, it was quite popular. So, you know, for me at that age to hear it enough to, to remember it. And I mean, so the Beatles were coming around. But at the same time, you know, they were covering some of their stuff. So I guess that really made it easy to hear and recognize at that point. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's, mm. that's, a, that's a solid starting point to the cover of Day Tripper. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, it was the 60s. Everyone has to have a Beatles cover if you're a 60s band. Mm-hmm. Well, but I, I had researched some of their other ones. They, they did a lot. They covered a lot of the Beatles. Did you oh, yeah. see the other songs they covered? Of the Beatles, uh, don't remember off top, but I do remember I was listening to their greatest hits, and I was they did like "Fool on the Hill," and it was like mm-hmm. they do have a lot of Beatles songs on this greatest hits album. Yeah, yeah, I think I think they had three of them on one. Yeah, wow, yeah. So, but uh, the the whole the whole concept is just so '60s, though. You know, the big bands and uh, 
Here's another one. I'm going to switch gears on you quick, but it kind of reminds me of uh, Santana, mm. which I'm not exactly sure when Santana began, but I mean, it was the same type of thing. There was a lot of the, you know, the Latin Latin vibe going on in these things. And uh, so it was, it was neat. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Th- that is a bit of a swerve. Uh, yeah. There, I mean, there are definitely some Santana songs where he does get more into the, Stays more jazzy with it. Mm-hmm. That I definitely can see the similarities with this one, but I don't know. There, there are some key differences that I saw between Santana sure. and sure, and Mendez. Like mm-hmm. Mendez is a lot more focused on pianos and winds and the lead vocalist. Uh, who's that singer? Lenny Hall, and mm-hmm. also like just sort of keeping it light and breezy. Like, like you say, I I resist to call it elevator music, but it is very much. Yeah. relaxing you don't have to think too hard about it whereas santana was more guitar and weird with it oh yeah yeah so. yeah well it was just uh but you know the one i was looking for since i'm i'm cheating and i'm looking while i'm talking one of them was uh on the soundtrack of uh austin powers yeah i mean one of the songs i don't let me see uh, i'll look it up while you talk so uh <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, no, it, and to me, it was just like, wow. I mean, it took me back, you know, 50-something years. It, uh, it, it was really nice. I just loved hearing it. So it was, yeah, talented folks. Yeah. It looks like the, oh, I looked it up while you were talking, because I was uh-huh. talking. And it looks like the one they put was the first track, Mas Que Nada. Oh, yeah. Well, that is just, uh, up until... A few minutes ago, mm-hmm. I did not know the name of that song. So when I saw that and I, I started reading about all the, how popular it was and it was such a big deal, I'm thinking, I don't even know what it is. What is it? And uh, there you go. You, then you, the minute you hear it, it's just like, oh, I'm, I'm all over it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was neat. Yeah, that was a really good one. Like, it's got that good driving beat to it. It's got, you know, the big hook of the, oh, masquerade. That's, that's oh, I know what it is. What? No, no, I'm just uh, uh, one of the Herb Albert and um, Sergio, the look of love. They covered uh, the look of love. Well, that was just, I think, a Herb Albert song. And that was in one of the Austin Powers. Let me look that up. But it, that was in one of them. So, you know, the, the power of music as far as the songs that you, uh, you know, you hear it and you, you connect it. And so as I was listening to that one, just because I wanted to hear it, um, mm-hmm. you know, it immediately took me to Austin Powers because it was a really, <laughs> it was a real, let's see, which one was it? Yeah. It was in, um, yeah, it was in uh, Austin Powers International, Man of Mystery, The Look of Love, which is Herb Albert song. So gotcha. anyways, yeah, it's just, uh, uh it's it's neat because like I said they they literally could take uh, what is the the one the the title the first track there what is it Portuguese the song the lead yeah 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 and, I mean, yeah yeah and so that was uh, I mean you, know, you got Portuguese then you got the British stuff I mean they're just all over the place and uh, yeah yeah so let's see here. Oh, I'm sorry. No. So the look of love is Burt Bacharach. But 
you know, that, that album, I mean, all they're doing is just grabbing things from all over and presenting it in the unique style that they did. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it was something. And like I said, it was a real memorable, memorable album. I just remember Mm. my folks having it and just looking at the cover and it was just exciting to see that stuff. Yeah. And so, like you said, when you said that's the album you're going to review, I was just uh, like, well, that yeah, was everywhere, that album. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, yeah, it's that sort of that good time 60s, you know, the one that's, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, go-go dancers and, you know, I, I don't know, Batman doing the Batuzi. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. that kind of 60s. Yeah. It, it, it was songs that needed to be done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that was, but yeah, it, so that, 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 but that first song, I mean, if you just say it to me, okay, mm-hmm. nada or whatever, I would say what? But then the minute you hear it, you're just like, oh man, that thing was, yeah, yeah that was huge. Well, it was a worldwide hit, so that was neat. Huh? Yeah. Yep. Speaking of real recognizable ones, what did you think of the mashup of One Note Samba and Spanish Flea? Liked it. Liked it. It was yeah. interesting. Uh, it was, well, the Spanish Flea, I didn't, again, wasn't familiar with what One Note Samba was until I heard it, heard it and then... Mm thing now yeah and it was just like yeah just just fun i mean you tend to think everything was probably it may have been painstaking to put those together at the same time they may have just basically sat down at a piano and cranked these things out but yeah fun it was just like most of the stuff pretty fun for me yeah it was fun it was like Kobe lanny hall does a nice job of you know just being the very poised very very clear singer Mm-hmm. They have the 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 piano player just plucking the one note. I mm-hmm. I will say it was sort of funny how they like you know one note song was actually a really nice song. I hadn't listened to it <laughs> a whole lot before this, but it turned out to be really nice. And then sticking just sort of slapping Spanish flea on top of it was <laughs> yeah. So then no, it was it was well, and it's a, there was one on my album, the Steely Dan album that. I didn't recognize the title, but then I heard the song. It's like, oh, that's one of my favorite by Steely Dan. So, yeah, just neat. Yeah. So. I will say, since Herb Alpert was sort of their, like, connect into the English world, mm-hmm. and he did the famous version of Spanish Flea, mm-hmm. do you think it was kind of like a, hey, boss, you're real cool. We're going to use your song. That kind of, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's, you know, you think about it uh, just off the track, but... uh well, you you were we had a discussion last time I saw you, and it was talking about the bare naked ladies song, you know, and it's just, mm. you know, just something a little bit unique, but you know, their their artistry comes through that song, and again, I can't remember the song by Bare Naked Ladies, the Christmas song, and mm. it's like if you said what Christmas tunes, I wouldn't imagine any, but then the one they did, you know, I mean, that's the nice thing about talent, it just comes through, and unless it's just a totally bad mat it's going to usually be pretty, pretty nice to hear. Yeah. And, and these, that, that one was. Yeah. Unlike the Joker, which I was excited to listen to, yeah. I wasn't familiar with it. And then after listening to it, it was not pleasing to my ear. Really? And, yeah, and I was really sad because, okay, again, 1966, what TV show had just started? The Batman. The, well, just Batman back then. It, yeah. uh, it, it hadn't morphed yet. But so I'm thinking it's going to be a hijinks and a fun song or something more akin to uh, what's his name? Uh, the Joker. Uh, 
leave a jet plane. Steve. Steve Miller. Steve Miller. Yeah, I mean between the TV show Batman Joker hijinks and a Steve Miller version of the Joker, I was expecting something a little more upbeat and a little more fun. Mm. But then again, <clears throat> I did note that Anthony Newley was credited somehow in the song. And are you familiar with his work? Anthony Newley. I can't yeah. say that I am. Well, I'll say this. Hate's a strong emotion, and I don't hate Anthony Newley, but I never cared for him at all. Mm. And I think it, as I researched, I think it was something to do from maybe the song was in a play he had done on Broadway or something. Mm-hmm. And so, so, you know, that was like, so I saw the Joker, good. Anthony Newley, that good. And then mm-hmm. the song, I was just like, okay, I'll listen to it and give it a chance. But uh, it, it went nowhere for me. Ah, uh, gotcha. Your thoughts? Yeah. Your thoughts yeah, on the song? I, think I was fine with it. Uh, you know, it was more, yeah, like you say, it was uh, slower. I also thought like, oh, is this going to be about the Joker from Batman? But mm-hmm. you know, it was more about, it was more of a love ballad about how getting played by for a fool in a love affair of some kind. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I was all right with it. It was it was you know a pleasant vibe. You know, she, mm-hmm. uh, Lanny Hall put some power into the vocals, like when she's just screaming, "The Joker is me." That yeah. was that was that was pretty good, but yeah. but but I it's the I same. Pre- yeah, I was, oh, I was gonna say I think as far as like power ballads, I think I prefer going out of my head, just because it has a cooler melody and like. That there's even stronger emotion on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, going out of my head, of course, is the opposite for me. I mean, as far as I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, I'd probably have heard, I bet you I've heard at least 10 different people cover it. Yeah. And, and it was such, such a big, to me, it was one of those ones that is kind of like not big band, but big production songs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, between Ray Conniff and all these various groups, so many people did it, and I loved every one of them. And it's just, it's like Dionne Warwick-type songs, you know? Mm-hmm. She did them, all sorts of people could do them, and they were all just good songs, and that's what I got going out of my head. Yeah, it's, it's the strong fundamentals has got, you know, the big beat. It's just lovely. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what that's what we're here for. Enjoy the big so, uh, next one, Tim Dum Dum. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on that one? Uh, let me let me pull up my old notes to see if I had anything. Yeah, didn't do much for me. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty essential. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll be. Completely honest, it's a '60s jazz album that clocks in under 26 minutes. There was, there is a wee bit of fluff. Like, yeah, it's not, yep. it's never bad, but it also a good chunk of it was less memorable than. Well, yeah, I mean, basically, it, it, with an album like that too, just because it's so eclectic, the stuff they're doing, mm-hmm. you could just kind of start a play and have somebody sit there and play a piano and mm-hmm. put it on there, and it would have passed for a track on those albums. And yeah. And I mean, it's. I was thinking about that, listening to all the the songs on both albums that we're covering, and you realize back then, boy, a lot of bad music got put on albums because you know you just fill them up. 
And so that's why I like the Asia album I like because it didn't do that. I mean, that was just, you know, hardcore songs. And I don't like yeah. them, but for the most part, nowadays, their songs, you know, I don't know that you would ever heard these because you don't have the, the B side to the, out, the uh, 45s anymore. In fact, uh, it did. And so there was a lot more stuff that got published that probably didn't need to. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Yes, I think so. Yeah. <clears throat> so then that was Day Tripper. Yeah, we talked some about that one. Well, here's here's my take on it. You know, again, so I'm six years old, and these songs on the radio, and it's the Beatles. So <laughs> just to hear that, again, you know, you're, it's the old, if you're familiar with things and you like the original, then there's a good chance uh, a cover like that. And I just remember it was very, I liked it. I remember hearing the version of Day Tripper, and I liked it perfectly fine. I mean, you know, as much as the, you think about if you can, if you can imagine. Okay. What was this U.S., the United States, like in 1966, as far as Beatlemania? And so, I mean, it's everywhere. It's like the COVID. And so, you know, anything that you could get, oh, man, you think about the way they were producing the songs they were coming out in just these huge hits. And so when somebody would do something like that, it was just like, okay, it's not the Beatles, but it's their song. And same thing, you know, it was just like, oh, that's fine. I'm good with listening to it. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's what you expect from one of those, you know, cover, cover band type thing. Oh, yeah. Your, your thoughts? Yeah, I thought it was pretty solid. You know, it's got a sort of the light bossa nova style. It, putting Day Tripper into that was sort of fun. Yeah, it, yeah. It goes a lot slower than the original. You know, the the Beatles version is, you know, this banger of like, she's a day tripper. Day mm-hmm. tripper yeah. And this one's much more of a slow, relaxed groove. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's got the, you know, the Latin Latin aspect of it, which it translated well to the, the genre. Is, uh, we yeah. have that term. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's just real, like I said, but that's also, uh, you know, I never really watched the show but I heard there was a TV show called Bad Men mm-hmm. about executives, uh, advertising type guys from the sixties. Yeah. Have you seen the program? You know what I, of what I speak. I've Mad seen little Men. clips. I, I know of the show. I haven't watched a full episode. Who, who's the, Dan Draper or Don Draper is like the character in it. But when you think of it, and I lived through this, you could picture a woman mm-hmm. with her high water, you know, stretchy lycra pants, not lycra, but, you know, double knit pants and a turtle shell with her hair all boofed up with a lot of uh, Clairol sprayed into it, walking into the the living room with an old Victrola and grabbing the record arm and putting it down on the record and hearing it scratch. And all of a sudden it'd start playing and the people would be dancing. And uh, that's what, yeah, that's what, and that's what, that's why this music was so popular, because at that point, that was a large segment of society. That was the image that people were projecting. That was the cool thing. Well, you, and you see it in, like, James Bond's movies, you know, with Sean Connery, the way people were dressed and all that. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a very, very much in vogue, I would say. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, and what's, uh, let's see, was there another one? Nope, there was another Beatle ones on that, but... Uh, yeah, but so anyways, that, 
it was it was powerful. I think I got a feeling of all the songs on there that's going to be like top two or three. And it was just mm -hmm. you know just ride ride the coattails of the Beatles, which was not a bad place to be. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. Radio Star made a whole career out of riding the coattails of the Beatles. Hey, yeah. Yo. Yeah. Well, and not not to be smirched of her, but Yoko Ono. I mean. Mm -hmm. Like I said, there's that one, I think there's a video that goes around and you talk about how cringeworthy she's singing and there's John and then I forget who the other person was and he's just sitting there looking like, what in the world is she doing? It sounded like a cat got stepped on. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so. Okay, next song. Uh, let's see. I honestly didn't have too much on the rest of the tracks on here. Yeah. Uh, uh, it got some nice melodies, but other than that, I wasn't. Yeah, Jenny, did you have any? No, just well, the slow hot wind. Uh, anything Henry Mancini does to me, it's it, it's it sounds of quality, but the song didn't resonate with me. And again, it's just one of those. Yeah, you say it. It's like uh, I wouldn't get up and walk across the room and turn it off if it come on the, the radio in the old days. But mm -hmm. I would have been kind of just waiting for it to. I'd be waiting for the next song to come along. But yeah, Henry Mancini, you know, just brilliant. And uh, and I'm sure you know, of course, his big, big string of music that really propelled him. Oh, yeah, uh, the Peter Gunn theme. Well, that and Pink Panther. I think yeah. he's also Pink Panther, isn't he? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I so, I mean, you know, it's funny, but that's that's Henry Mancini. So I gave mm -hmm. that one a listen with a little bit of more than the others. But the other ones, yeah, I'm, I'm, I listened to him for a few seconds. And so, like, whoa, I'm not going to listen to this any more than I have to. So I gave Slow Hot Wind a little bit, the, the last two, not a whole lot. Gotcha. But that, that's, that's the downside to, uh, you know, the international music. It's just like when you like it, it's fun. And when you don't, you just zero connection for me. Okay. And right. I'd, like, I'd like to say that it's me, but I, mm -hmm. I don't think it is. I think uh, I hold myself in too much esteem to say it's just me. I don't know. I mean, there's, the, you know, like, as far as the connection with people like, you know, language barrier and, you know, cultural differences of like what makes fun music for one country might not make it for another. I, th mm -hmm. I thought this was all pretty all right. It's more, it's probably a little less ambitious than I usually put on the show. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's like, you know, chillax music. It doesn't have too high of a goal, but, you know, I stand by. Yeah. Yeah. No, like I said. You know, their their overall body work is fine, and like I said, I enjoyed it. And uh, like I said, I'm not gonna put them on my. Uh, do people still have the where you put a bunch of songs together? What do you call it? Uh, Playlist mixtape. No, well, mixtape. When I was a young young lad, a young warthog. Now, where you, you do it on your phone, you know, you put like a compilation of twelve songs together. Your yeah. your uh, there's a word for it. You know, you you download a bunch of songs and put them in a list so that you can just hit play and they come through. I, oh yeah, I, that's playlist, yeah. Playlist, yeah, I wouldn't have I wouldn't uh, done anything like that, put any of them on my playlist, but like I said, you know, as far as just overall, uh, good stuff, good stuff. And again, I mean, I'm, I'm going back to at the time and yeah, everywhere you went, that was, that was huge. How did it do on the charts, do you know? Uh, when I last looked, it looked like it got to number seven. Yeah. On the main, yeah, so pretty, pretty well, all right. 
10. Can you look up real quick what the top six were? Because you uh, think that era, it's going to be either things like the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, or it's going to be uh, Nancy Sinatra and people like that. So, uh, yeah. no, I won't. They don't give a specific date when it peaked. Okay, let me um, do the uh, top, top albums, 1966. Let's just look and see where yeah. it comes. Top 10 albums. Ooh. The Beatles. Dylan. Beach Boys. Rolling Stones, Cream, Donovan, The Kinks. You know, you think about it, I mean, you, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's funny. I don't sit around and think about The Kinks, but holy cow. What I mean, think of that, that group, uh, those, those different uh, bands right there. You know, that's some... That's some powerhouse stuff. So to be in the, the, you know, up there with the, what's the expression? You know, you're in a high altitude or what's that? Yeah, you know the term I'm talking about. But yeah, you're in some rarefied air up there. Yes. Which here's another one. Uh, the Monkees was a was the top album that year, and Simon and Garfunkel, Parsley, Sagebrush, Sage, Rosemary, and Thyme. So, uh, you know, one of their big ones. And Strangers in the Night by Frank Sinatra. Sounds of Silence. Uh, Fifth Dimension. There was, I mean, that was just a great, great time for music. So the fact that, yeah, it made it in the U.S. to top six, that's a huge deal. And it shows you the weight that that carried as far as just, you know, being there mm -hmm. like that. So, yeah, no, it was, they were the real deal. Oh, yeah. Yep. Really, really. And what's interesting is just four or five years later, what two artists got together and created a little band? Uh, Steely and Daniel? Yes. Steely Dan. I mean, so let's see here. When did they go to college? Uh, they met in college in 1971, so they would have probably been 14, 15 years old when that came. Mm -hmm. what, and they would have been listening to that. And my guess is this. They didn't sit around and listen to anything by Herb Alp or Sergio Mendez. I, I doubt they listened to it. I think they, they yeah. released some apartments and did drugs and played on their instruments. I mean, do you, is there, are there any two more unique guys than uh, Becker and Fagan? Uh, Andre 3000 and Big Boy, uh, ODB and RZA, uh, let's see, David Bowie and Iggy Pop. Yeah, okay. I, I, I'm playing with you, I'm playing with you. But yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know they were into drugs. I thought they were, I thought, I was under the impression they were like college nerds. Uh, I'd say both. I'd say both. And that, that comes out a little bit in their music. But uh, uh, first off, of course, my favorite part is, um, where's the name come from? Steely Dan? From a poem. Uh, you're going to have to disown your podcast and give up all your your license to call yourself a, a music 
music fan. I think I think you're gonna just have to buy me Let, some Steely Daniel merchandise. Okay, you you don't know what's I thought I assumed you knew Steely Dan. You know what Steely Dan? Where they got it? I I do not. A, a prosthetic phallus made out of steel. Huh? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's those guys. I mean, think about you know, would they have come up with something like you know the wallflowers or the strawberries? No, they were going to have something really, you know, off the wall. And so, yeah, they named themselves after a, a, a prosthetic penis. Good to know, huh? Thanks, Dad. Yes, no problem. I'm here for. Yeah. So what you got is, uh, let's see here. They go to Bard College down in the city. Mm -hmm. and Walter Becker. And he was, you know, the guitar, mm -hmm. and uh, Fagan was keyboard and lead vocals, and so they they just started playing. And uh, what's wild is, uh, and this I'm just going to read it to you, you know. So they they get together in 1971 in college, mm -hmm. basically hang out in their apartments writing music and stuff. And three years later, they stopped performing live to become yeah. a studio musicians it's pretty amazing so they just hold themselves up to write a bunch of songs yeah because you know you think about it, the typical most of these people i mean and it's funny but if if somebody comes out say the year 1980 then you know they become popular and they come on the scene and you look back and what you see is, well, they actually started performing in 1967 and they went through, you know, many iterations, all these different groups, they segued and, you know, and I mean, the big groups, that's what they do. They travel around and they, they play and, you know, that's how they build followings and just, you know, the live shows are such a part of it. I mean, think about the Stones, uh, the Eagles. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, the Eagles, their farewell tour, I think this is their fourth farewell tour. Uh, they have a, a, a new iteration of Steely Dan accompanying them. So, uh, yeah, so there you go. I mean, it's just to be able to be just out there, and I'm assuming, I don't know where they performed a lot, but I'm assuming there's probably a lot of New York City and maybe West Coast stuff. But, you know, three years, and then to be able to say, we're done, we're just going to go in studio and do our thing, and mm -hmm. to do it and do it phenomenally. So that was it was always it was always neat to know that that they were more just a studio band. So, yep. And again, uh, let's see what year is Asia? Let's see, you got pulled up here. I think seventy-seven. Yes, seventy-seven. Seventy-seven. So, and it's so funny, and we we talked about this previously, but uh, for instance. Uh, the song, to me, one of their most intriguing and pleasing songs of all was the song FM. And I don't think you were really that familiar with it until you heard it. Mm -hmm. But I mean, there was a song that wasn't even released as a, as a song. And it was just on the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. It's not like I don't think FM's on any of their albums. And if it is, it's going to be like the greatest hits thing. <laughs> yeah. So you got... You know, Becker's doing uh, his thing, and 
and Fagan's the, the front man, the, the, the lead. And of course, Becker died, what, about four or five years ago, maybe, maybe longer. But uh, so they come out with this, this album. And I'm just going to go through the songs because I like, this is what I like. Yeah, so you got Josie, Asia, mm-hmm. Peg, I Got the News, Home at Last, Deacon Blues, and Black Cow. Mm-hmm. So what's that? Eight, seven, seven songs. And in the 70s, I would have expected the typical album's going to have 12 songs. Mm-hmm. And they get away with, you know, seven, which is, number one, it's, it's astounding. And, but I think it it's typifies their work. Mm-hmm. I start off with Josie. I mean, you know, that's, Josie's one of the shorter songs. Mm-hmm. And it comes in at four minutes and 30 seconds. Which again, you go back to actually, uh, Peg is the shortest at four minutes, right at four minutes. But you know, back then, a lot of the albums cuts were going to be two to three minutes long. So, mm-hmm. uh, but Josie, uh, your thoughts on Josie? Uh, that was one of the better ones for me. Like it had a nice beat to it, you know, sort of something you could jam to. And the, the, that was one of the nice, better like character portrait type songs where mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, yeah about hey this kind of you know we're a bunch of sleazy people and we're gonna this person's coming home I've, and we're gonna all hang out and have a good time oh like, yeah I thought that was it yep. they did a nice job of setting the scene they, they do and for the most part it's interesting you, you want to say they have really nice stories but they don't really they're kind of just and i i like it because it's a uh a, a mixture of cool lines really cool lines mm-hmm. songs and at the same time, and some storyline behind it, but it's not that deep, but it leaves you your imagination to run with it. Uh, there was that one song, I can't think of it. Uh, there's one, and uh, what's that one song? Uh, revved up like a deuce in the night. Yeah. Man for man, but you know, there's, there's classic lines and songs that everybody has misconstrued over the years. And uh, Steely Dan's that type of stuff. You, you can read a lot into it and then find out it was just all in your head. And I'll, I'll talk about that on another one. I forget which one it is now. Uh, oh, the next one, Asia. But anyways, so Josie, here, here's the neat thing about Josie. And, and you know, just researching what's out there, of course, is, yeah, she's this you know, a woman who is a, a, the head of the neighborhood, and she's coming back, and everybody's excited about it. So who sings, you know, who sings backup vocals on this one? This one, I'm not sure. I know because you had mentioned Michael McDonald's on Peg. Uh, right. Is he on? Timothy Schmidt. Ah. And because I'm a font of information and I'm always trying to pour knowledge into your knowledge basket, who did Timothy Schmidt go on to play with? Uh, the most overrated band of all time, the Eagles? Correct. He replaced, I think, Randy Meisner. And he, his big hit was, I can't tell you why, they're one of their real slow ballads, but yeah, he's on this. And, that, and again, you, you get back into, so you've got a studio uh, basically banned. And so I think there was one they talked about, they brought somebody in at the last second, did some tracks with them, and you just plug it in. I mean, these guys were just brilliant because you think about it with Timothy Schmidt, he could have been in the studio with a, singing along and, and being part of the song or maybe one of them was just sitting there playing a guitar or piano 
and he's singing and they're recording it. And, you know, they were just, en their engineering of their songs was just amazing. And uh, I was reading one, I think they said they had seven different guitarists come and play the songs and they selected one of them and just plugged him into it. So, mm -hmm. you know, and that's obviously you can't do that if you're on the road, you know, it's hard to get people to travel with you without cost a lot of money. But, you know, the brilliance of them was they sat there and worked it out in the studio and they did what they needed. And it sounded like, you know, mm -hmm. they put, well, they did, they clearly, they put a ton. Hi, it, effort, it could get what, because when you think of it, so right now on this one, I'd say, you know, most people would say the four songs are just huge hits. And the fifth one that I'll talk about was, it's very memorable and a really good song, but you don't, wouldn't recognize it by the name. But I mean, you just got just an album and five of the, five of the eight, five of the seven songs are, are pretty powerful, uh, songs that you know you immediately identify with them and i think that's why i steal and you know it, it should be considered you know mm, i don't know top 25 top 30 maybe bands of all time i'm, I'm crazy i'm out there but, uh, yeah and i'm talking not just like duos but because they had multiple musicians they were a real band when they probably have six people on every single song so but anyways, Josie, yeah, that's the story of Josie, and 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 it's a fun one. Uh, the next track is Asia, and mm -hmm. do you know much about Asia? Uh, I mean, it's a pretty big continent. Hey oh, yeah. Uh, but as far as the song, uh, well, the, yeah, the song is basically it was uh, a girlfriend or wife of somebody they knew. She was Korean. Mm -hmm. That was her name, and they really liked the name, mm -hmm. and. Uh, Asia is fascinating to me, and uh, this is where I get into the uh, the drugs. Uh, what's that one line? Let me see if I can't find it quick. But uh, Asia is this, uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, uh, Asia was inspired by the real woman. Uh, And she brings peace and tranquility. And mm -hmm. so, but then he talks about, in the songs, Dime Dancing. And I think the lyric in the song is, whenever I'm done Dime Dancing, I come back to you. Mm -hmm. And according to them, you know, the interviewers, they said that, you know, the idea was Asia's tranquility. She's peace. She's calm. I'm who I am. Then I get out there and I'm doing my Dime Dancing. And, uh you know, I eventually come back to you. <laughs> and uh, so I, I just like that. But, you know, to me, you know, I, I'm just assuming giving the, the time frame, mm -hmm. uh, you know, New York, that it, it was probably, uh, you know, drugs. And I've been surprised if they don't. I mean, let's uh, say dance on a dime was to grind bodies tightly together. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let's see here. Magnificent. Yeah. So, but it's it's basically an expression of using drugs, and so it's like, well, you know, I'm with you, then I falter, but then I always come back to you because you know that's where my peace is going to be is with you. So, uh, to me, it's a fascinating song. Did you listen to it while preparing? Oh, yeah. oh yeah. wait, Asia. Yeah. The the particular title track. 
that. Yes, I listened to the that trip. Yeah, and how long is Asia? Uh, that one came in at eight minutes. Yeah, I mean, and you just, I mean, just to think about, yeah, wow, eight minutes long, and these songs were popular on the radio. Mm-hmm. Well, before that, the longest song, probably maybe three, four, five years before that, American Pie had trouble because it was so long. And then you got Asia. Uh, it's just remarkable that an eight-minute-long song was getting played on the radio. Yeah. Yeah. But let me tell you this, and you, you, you probably don't realize it, but I would say probably about 1970. I'm guessing about 1970, maybe a little bit later, is when I started listening to FM radio. All through mm-hmm. the 60s, AM. All we had was AM for the most part. Most of our radios didn't have FM. And so, you know, AM was a lot more of the advertising. It was talk radio, news radio, this and that. And that really wouldn't have gone well. So I tend to think uh, Asia's big play was on FM. And by that time, FM had gotten, you know, popular to the point of, yeah, I mean, I just remember, you know, it's like uh, in the 60s, I listened to 50 uh, – 57, uh, WHEN 62 on the station, uh, 1600 was WOLF, that was the pop station. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, now you're listening 94.1, 95.1, 104.3. You had the, all these new uh, settings you had to get on radio. But yeah, I just remember getting our first radio that was a little of those black, not boombox, but a handheld. And it had AM, FM, and it was just like we're scrolling through that, trying to figure out this FM. And that, I think, that helped uh, <laughs> Steely Dan. They were definitely, like the song says, FM. Um, yeah. FM music really propelled them, I think, a lot further than the AM would have. Gotcha. Yeah. So, anyways, but so, yes, that's uh, uh, Asia is an amazing song. And, uh, it's just something else. Uh, the, the I, I just love the different. I don't think it's it's Deacon Blues has the long intro, but I mean they're just all over the place in their songs, and they have them all over the place, and you're just anticipating you know the catchphrases and the hooks and stuff, mm-hmm. and they're there. But uh, yeah, Asia, it's not one of my top favorites by them, but it's it's an amazing song. So, anyways, yeah. your thoughts? Yeah, Asia, I think. So this is a little bit of my backstory as far as my listening experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I came into this, I like I had heard the main hits from Steely Dan, uh, from you oh. and from others, and mm-hmm. I was under the impression they were like this really cool jazz fusion type, mm-hmm. with really cutting lyrics, and this one ended up uh, having part of it be that, like when they get into the all the solos with the drumming oh. and the big synth oh, yeah. and the saxophone. Oh man, when you saxophones, I mean, great sax solos oftentimes are going to be Steely Dan. I mean, they just incorporated so many, so many, so many people and instruments. Oh yeah, yeah. I will. I will be honest. A lot. Of, excuse me. Uh, some of the times it felt a little bit underwhelming, but I realized I think I probably set a very different set of expectations than yeah. what I should have yeah. had for the album. Like, yeah, I was thinking in my head like. 
okay, this is going to be like, you know, basically early Billy Joel over weather report beats. Yeah. And it wasn't that, but it was yeah. still quite good. It was, you know, very well put together. And so very slick, very nice. So it still yep. ended up being a good time, even though my, initially I was like, where's all the funky? Yeah, well, and, and it, but it's a lot more than just all, the, you know, there's some funk and it's, but, and it's, uh, for instance, Peg. Oh, yeah. Peg is probably the biggest story one here. And Peg is based on the movie All About Eve, about an aging actress. And, uh, you know, a broken relationship. And, it, and it's neat because when you hear the song, it's kind of upbeat. And it's actually a real downer song. And she's going on and, uh, you know, and basically he, he's seeing a little retribution. And it's the famous line, what is it, Peg? It will come back to you. So we're together. You start making it big. And, you know, she leaves him in her dust. And he's bitter and this and that. But then you think, think about the tempo of the song. It's, it's going, I can't hum even. You know, it's that kind of sounds like if you if you just hear the the music, it's like mm -hmm. this upbeat thing. But the lyrics, so when you hear that line, Peg, it will come back to you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's basically you know a vengeful, vengeful and spite. And so I, I found that, and that is as you previously mentioned, uh, Michael McDonald doing his little. Mm -hmm. And uh, what uh, there was something there was somebody else on it. And I didn't recognize the name, and I thought you might know it. What's his name? I'm Peg. Graydon. Graydon. Do you know a Jay Graydon? Uh, let me look. Michael McDonald sang backing vocals, and Jay Graydon played the guitar. So yeah. McDonald's famous for his work in the Doobie Brothers. Graydon was a very successful producer and songwriter in addition to his work as guitarist. I'll have to look that up later on. Uh, yeah, and, and Graydon's one that said they had brought in seven or eight guitarists <laughs> to try the solo that Graydon did. So, yeah, you think about, I mean, and that's what you got to like about the, um, the genius. I would, I would I'd go as far as say the genius of these guys is, you know, that's a lot of work to, how much, how much distinction would there have been Distinguishing between seven or eight. If you're bringing seven, eight of the greatest guitarists in, in the world at that time and have them all come in and play, you know, I guarantee you there's probably, to me, I wouldn't know the difference, but to them, you know, they knew what they want and they were going to keep going until they got it. And I think they were probably gen fairly generally happy when they got their songs finished. I wonder how long the album took to put together. I bet you it took a while. Yeah, I'd have to imagine like if they were going to. Try to be that precise with it. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. So then the next course was, uh, what was it? Uh, songs that I hate that go into category. I got the news and home at last. If you could see me, I got two thumbs down. Don't do it <laughs> for me. And that's my take. My biggest take on Steely Dan is I either really, really like their songs or I really don't care for their stuff. For instance, here's the good songs. Ricky, don't lose that number. Great hit. Uh, my old school, good stuff. All sorts of stuff like that. And it's just, you know, it's just really neat. And then the rest of the stuff, it's, it's like everything else. Jazz is like, 
coffee. When it's good, it's good. And when it's old and cold, yeah. And uh, <laughs> those two tracks right there, they did nothing for me. I don't like them, and I don't even want to talk about them. Okay. Which, okay. So I'm going to jump then to Black Cow. Do you listen to Black Cow, and did you recall it? I did listen to Black Cow. Uh, I thought it was pretty all right. You know, it's yeah. You know, sort of a slower, slow burn intro, but it's extremely bitter. Like you know, just being like, oh yeah, oh yeah, get like the chorus of "Drink your big black cow and get out of here." So smooth yet so poisonous. You got it. But what's a black cow? I'm assuming it's a type of alcohol. No, it's a it's a soda. I mean, it's like uh, you. Really? Yeah. Or, and I research this because that's the type of guy I am. I'm going to research things before I just throw my thoughts out there. I mean, there's a black cow is like this old, I think there was a black cow candy. And, and it was real good. Or it could possibly be like uh, ice cream and a Coke, like a Coke float. Either way, it's basically get your, you know, hush puppies, flea-bitten hush puppies out of here. Yeah, it was just a very dismissive song. So... But really, really catchy tune, and it was much more popular. I would say this. If you talk to the average person that is from my uh, age group, most people, you know, if you ask them about that song, they're going to say, don't know it. And then when you hear it, you're going, like, oh, yeah, that was played. That got some heavy play on the radio. And I'm not sure where it would have reached on the charts, but it was, it was, it was big. I really like it. So but then again... It leads us up to the magnum opus of this album for me. Mm -hmm. Coming in at 7 minutes and 36 seconds long, Deacon Blues. And what's the, what's the, the hook on this one? What's the line for the song that makes it famous in our great state? Alabama's got the Crimson Tide. Call me Deacon Blues. Yep, yep. And... So I, I always liked the song. I mean, I loved it. And, mm -hmm. uh, but let me read you uh, what's, what kind of burst my bubble when I researched it last time. Mm -hmm. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, to just lay it out there. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. When you go to the University of Alabama, and I did in 1988, and it's wild. So these songs are like 10 years old. Mm -hmm. They seemed ancient when I was there because you just knew him. And here's, here's Fagan telling Rolling Stones magazine. So Walter Becker, Walter Becker, the deceased, and I had been working on that song at a house in Malibu. I love the imagery. Here they are, these New York City guys, the most New York City type people in the world. They got a house in Malibu. So I thought of Charlie from uh, Two and a Half Men. And uh, I played him that line, and, and uh, Becker said, you mean it's like they call those cracker ales this grandiose name like the Crimson Tide, and I'm the loser? So this is a – I kind of had known it that it's actually just – mocking Alabama, but it's been adopted as only Alabama can do. We're going to take something where, so the author's a song saying, we're a bunch of cracker, cracker ales, but we have this great name, and I'm the loser, 
So I get the Deacon Blues title. Mm -hmm. And so when he told that to him, then uh, Fagan said, or Becker said, yeah, that's cool. Let's do it. So uh, just little known fact, name, if you could, off the top of your head, name the three schools that are referenced in Steely Dance, three universities referenced in Steely Dance songs. William Mary, mm -hmm. University of Alabama. And then and Deacon which, Blues, Wake Forest. Yeah. yeah. So Deacon Blues, from the resources I've got, there was a football team in the <laughs> 60s and 70s, the Los Angeles Rams. And they had four guys that played defense. They were called the Fearsome Foursome. One guy's name was Joe. One was, I forget his name. He did a little bit of acting. And um, Roosevelt Greer, Rosie Greer, I think he was there when Robert Kennedy was shot. Roosevelt Greer did a little bit of acting. Two of them, Olson, Merlin Olson, he did some acting. Roosevelt Greer did some acting. And uh, the, other, the first guy I referenced in, but the fourth guy was Deacon Jones. So if you Google the fearsome foursome Los Angeles Rams, uh, Deacon Jones is one of them, and that's who they did. So it's just like they just—it was just a play on words that didn't have any real meaning to it. So they call Alabama the Crimson Tide, call me Deacon Blues. It's supposed to be—they're great, but not really, and they're looking down on me. And yet he was great. Deacon Jones was great. So uh, that was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I didn't do as much research because I am, as we've established, a lazier listener. And sure, you're, you're the alpha, alpha recorder. Alpha. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I th yeah. It definitely is definitely a song about you know the hierarchies of winners and losers and you know jocks and nerds. It was it was a pretty depress it was kind of a depressing song you know like this guy seems pretty down on his luck and mm. he literally says. Drink what scotch whiskey all night long. Drive behind yeah. the wheel. He is pro drunk driving. <laughs> oh yeah, yes. I I do not condone that. I want to go on the record. I'm I may be out there, but I do. But at the same time, think about the intro. It was this real nice and easy and lazy introduction. What a great intro! And I'm, I'm call me crazy, but when I go to the gym, I do have a thing. I don't do playlists anymore, but I will listen to my old school. And Deacon Blue because they're quite pleasing to the to the ears while I'm getting on a massive massive pump at the gym, and uh, but yeah, but it's still neat because when you're walking along and you hear Alabama and call Alabama the Crimson Tide, you kind of you know get a little hop in my step. But that's my uh, loyalty to my my second alma mater. So, anyways, but uh, love it. I don't consider it their best song, but it's up there. I would say. I said, I think my old school might be my favorite by them. Okay. Just just because it's upbeat and it's, it makes me feel good. Yeah. So, I, anyway. But an amazing album. An amazing album. Yeah. If you haven't listened to the song FM, go listen to it and it'll, it'll change your world. Such a great. Now, it's just a nice song. I think it went with the movie FM. So, so that was my take. Uh, I was thrilled. Any group that's got the audacity to name themselves after a prosthetic penis, I got to give them kudos for, for willing to be out there and do that. You know, as we were listening to 
you know, years later, they're very, the title of their, their band may have been enough to get them a warning label. Think about it. Actually, a lot of these songs may have gotten a warning label if they oh, yeah. come 20 years later. Oh, yeah. They got, they got the booze. They got the drugs. Depression. Yeah. Sex. I don't know if there's any occult in it, but these guys, they wouldn't have been that far. But, and then sadly, they kind of just disbanded. I don't think they, they were around maybe, what, 10, 12 years? And, you know, they did some comeback little things. But, you know, it was just, you know, that's, that's what you get when you get geniuses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they, they flame out quickly. Yeah, like, overall, like some... Elton John, here he is 50 years later. Yeah. He's still standing. He's... Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> like a candle in the wind, he just keeps flickering. So, yeah. So that's my take on uh, Steely Dan. Love them. think they're one of the greatest and most... Uh... Yeah, the term as far as like high intellectual music, they're up there. I mean, I think it'd be, it'd be hard pressed to find uh, maybe Taylor Swift. I don't know. Other than that, I'm not sure anybody else. Like I said, I, I, I'll say this top 10 bands, like as far as brilliance, as far, things like that, uh, I've got them up. I like the Moody Blues. I think they have some phenomenal music and, you know, some real intellectual thought going on it. Uh, Stones had some great stuff. Uh, and uh, Steely Dan, there are three right off the top of my head that'll be in uh, group. If Neil Diamond was a band, he'd be in there though. Cause Neil Diamond. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I think overall, I I had very conflicted feelings as mm-hmm. I mentioned before. The I had those high expectations yeah. set for me. I think it was still a very good album. Uh, huh? Yeah, there were. How do you? How do those conflicted feelings make you feel? Uh, they make me oh. feel. Uh, let's see, like uh, you know, I'm just gonna go. Drink my big black cow and get out of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> no, if you got to go, the black cow's the way to go. That's yeah. that's. I'm so glad that one of the big perks on this. Number one, hearing this, the old Sergio music and and tapping my foot along to it, and then the big black cow. Black cow talk. Again, I hadn't heard that one in a long time. That'll go into my uh, YouTube playlist when I'm at the gym. Nice. All right. Well, it's uh, almost time for me to wrap it up here at the house and get ready for another work week of out there serving, serving the fine people of Alabama and, and, and seeking justice for all. Oh, yes. And I shall be up here in Ohio <laughs> enabling them. Uh, and thank you for listening <laughs> to the album. Send them my way, please, sir. All right. All right. All right. Guest. It's, it's always yeah. up. All right. Thanks for having me. Yes. Thanks for coming to the board. All right. Good night. Thank you, Thank you for listening, your listeners. The albums we listen to do were Asia by Steely Dan and Herb Albert Presents by Sergio Mendez. I'm Caleb Clark, and for the Billy Shears Club, and have a good night.